0: able to know by the f- fact that they love their brethren. Spend just a little bit of time in the sanctuary watching before services or after and you see people that love their brethren. And that's how you can know that this church, there's it's full of, of true Christians who just love one another. I just, I love that. Uh, uh, when I'd get the opportunity to, to teach there or uh, just sitting uh, in the back or up front and just watching people. I'm a people watcher. It's kind of what happens after being police officer for 20 years, right? And I just love seeing people enjoy spending time together. I mean, and, and you just see the love that this church has for one another. John said in First John, another way you can be sure that your salvation is real is what? By f- you by are you following his commandments? We talked about that. We're not talking Ten Commandments, right? We're not talking the Ten Commandments. We're talking: Are you following the commandments of Christ? It's preaching when he during his ministry. Are you doing what he says? I mean, he gave us the instructions for how to live, and the books that outline that. Are we following? What was our theme? What just last year? Following of Christ. I mean, are we following? Are we following what he's given us, and we did that. And then Second John, he, in our opinion, or my opinion, I should say, I think he was writing to a specific person. Now we talked about the debate on that. He could have been writing to a church, the elect lady. But I, you know, after reading and studying that, I just, I feel like John, the way it comes out, it. It fits for me that it was he was writing to a specific person, a lady in the church who had children. And his instructions to her was what? Be careful of false teachers. Don't support them. Don't support them. Don't even wish them well, right? And why? They're the actors of Satan. Anybody that teaches a false gospel, go back to 1 John. Anybody who teaches a false gospel is an antichrist. Not the antichrist of the end times, but un-antichrist. And when you put it kind of in those terms for us as Christians, wow. Anybody that teaches a false gospel, and immediately we can, we can start naming some names, couldn't we? Teaching false gospels. And these people are doing Satan's bidding. I mean, they really are. We're talking blunt here. We're talking blunt. Why? The Bible talks blunt sometimes about these things. I personally think one of the issues we have with Christianity right now is we don't have enough people that want to talk kind of bluntly about the issues that are out there while doing so in a loving way. We always have to do that. We always love the sinner but hate the sin, right? They're not the victim. They're not the, the, the enemy. They're another victim of Satan. So we love them. But we still talk bluntly about the sin. About doctrine. And having firm stances on the doctrine. John's mentioned this over and over in first and second. We, we stand for truth. We stand for a truth. Um, and again, that's so watered down nowadays. Nobody thinks there's a truth there's no such thing as truth. Everything's relative. You hear a lot. Well, it's based off how you feel. I mean, it's really. Are you offended? Okay, if you're offended, then we need to change our rules so that you are not offended. All 400 of us are going to change a rule because you were offended by something. And if it's doctrinal, th- they think that that's the way of the world nowadays. It's just not. There are certain things that are truth, that are firm, and we should stand for them. And, and when it's wrong, it's wrong. My goodness, the 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 stuff, I mean, this is an easy one. The stuff on uh, gender identification and reassignments and all this is just, it'll, it hurts your head to think about it. It really, I'm like, really? But if we don't agree, then we hate the person. Yes. They it's the think we except hate. That gets us in trouble. Except for me or except Yeah, me, right. Except for this or that. Yeah, it's just, you know, but, but yet Scripture teaches us firmly. God created man and he created woman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't create 67 other varieties of man and woman. I don't find that anywhere in scripture and that is an issue that right now can get you just tore up in society i'm an hr manager and i've been to schools in the last year and a half that tell me as an hr manager of certain things i need to do in our place of employment to satisfy uh, the, these phrases they've come up with, D-E-I. You guys heard of that phrase? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Now, that class I took on diversity, equity, and inclusion, yeah, no. But, yeah, if you say you're against diversity, equity, and inclusion, what's that make you sound like? <laughs> yeah, and that's the way they, they like to, the, to tag people. I mean, it's just... It hurts. It hurts your head. It hurts my head even right now, just to even be thinking about it. That's why I don't watch a lot of that stuff and I stay just you know, I'll read and I'll watch a sermon or I mean that's or or I watch baseball. That's pretty much it in my life. Too much other junk out there. Yeah. Um and then we get to third John, and third John's a little bit different. Just like 1 John, he's kind of giving us an overall assurance of our salvation. 2 John, he says, um, be careful of false teachers. Don't give them any support. And 3 John, we'll see what his overall theme is here in a second. 3 John was written to a man named Gaius in the local church in which he was a leader or pastor. This was a common first century name and shouldn't be equated should be equated with any other New Testament reference to other Gaiuses. If you kind of do a little bit of study on that, I guess uh, Gaius was one of 18 other names that uh, Greek citizens, and those who uh, spoke Greek, were uh, uh, could name their male son and attach a surname to. So it was a very kind of like, John or, uh, you know, very common name Gaius was. So when you read in the New Testament several other Gaiuses, <clears throat> most of the commentaries I read said, well, don't associate any of those with this Gaius. Well, I, my mind says don't necessarily associate, but Scripture doesn't say it wasn't and it doesn't say it was. And in the end, it really doesn't. Matter to the overall interpretation. Uh, background: local support of traveling ministries. Remember, we talked about this in Second John. The church at this time didn't meet like we do now. Well, in this first century Christianity, they met in people's homes. That's where that you know, and and they would get together in groups at somebody's house, and a traveling missionary or or or. Uh, a, an elder or somebody traveling very well may may preach, or they had local pastors or elders that preached. Um, but it was not uncommon to have people come in from out of town to preach here, and then next week they move on to another community and they would preach in their home. So that was that was the norm. And, and think about it we we do that even today, even though we have a building to meet in, we very often have ministers. Uh, uh, missionaries come in from out of town to give us an update on their work or to give us a, an introduction to the work that they feel led to uh, introduce to begin and say, will you be a part of this? And I always loved those opportunities. Now, I won't say that at one point, I was like, oh man, my goodness, I want to hear from Brother Lynn or Pastor Waterloo. You know, some of these guys are okay preachers, right? But in the as I grew as a Christian, the more I thoroughly look forward to those opportunities and can't wait to hear from those minister, uh, missionaries because they're giving you a way to get involved in in uh, ministry work um, through your tithes and offerings that. You would couldn't do on your own. I mean, this church. Are we going to really make an impact in Africa, or Korea, or Japan? Are we? Can you? You and I going to make an impact? Not likely. But if we send a Bible teaching, fundamental preaching pastor to those countries to build churches and disciple followers and support that family, are we going to make a difference? He definitely can, and man, that's exciting. I loved uh, being able to read some of the letters that come back from our missionaries, or, or to, to hear that. And we also, and I love this about this church. I love it when they give the young preachers a chance to preach from Heartland. Oh my gosh! And I'll again, I'll admit, early on when we first got to Central, I'm like, this guy's horrible. What is he doing up there, really? It's only six thirty, and you're done. (laughs) I got ripped out of thirty minutes of preaching here. You know, I'm just there was a time I I was I was kind of immature in that way, but now I just love it because I've seen that 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 young pastor who did that one time, and then four years later, he's up there, yeah, and just nailing it, and uh, it just you see the growth. And I love that. Love that. Um, And there's plenty of examples of of young men who have done that. I love that we're a teaching church in just a variety of ways. we need to support them. We need to support them. And we'll see that as we go through 3rd John. Um, But petty jealousies pride and desire for personal power had led some domineering local church members to resent those traveling preachers in John's time. And we're going to see kind of as we migrate through this book of several different characters and we'll talk about them as we get to them, but it don't always go smooth. They had the same problems in their church that we face from time to time here at Central. You know, just like I mentioned a couple of the comments that I said, you know, some young minister come in and you know, he's taking time away from our pastor. Well, that's that's not a good mindset. You know, but I didn't go around try to cause, you know, division because of it, but some people would. Some people would and try to make an issue of that. Or, you know, just say why are we supporting so many missionaries why why do we support this missionary but yet we're not seeing a lot of fruit from this missionary are we doing something wrong and i'll tell you in my years of leadership i've heard those conversations come up here at central baptist church um and it breaks my heart every time it it really does um you don't we give support to them, but we don't know the stories and what's going on behind the scenes and the support that they need or what's. You know, and it just support them, pray for them. Just support them and pray for them. Support them and pray for them. I can't imagine doing what they do. I, I there's times that I, you know no there's I totally honor what they do and it's amazing to me. But to take your family and just say we're going to name it I just it's so humbling yeah I just and and they're doing it for the cause of Christ and it's just so amazing to me when I hear their stories nowadays it's just I love reading uh, stories of old missionaries and so forth so third John is is an encouragement for the church to support true pastors and true missionaries so we've Changed a little bit from Second John, where John wrote to a lady and said, "Don't support false pastors." To 3 John, Third John, where he's writing to a guy saying, "Support true pastors." It's an interesting little flip flop there. John wrote Second John to protect the truth. By denying the support of false teachers, and he wrote 3rd John to advance the truth through supplying the support of genuine <laughs> Christian teachers. Dr. Harold, Harold Wilmington, who for those in FBI will immediately know the name, uh, wrote the uh, uh, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. I need to bring one of those sometime and show to you. It's a, just a phenomenal Bible study tool. Um, about yay big, but it's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really come across a, uh, a Bible study uh, tool probably more effective than that book. Of course, others in the Bible itself. But Dr. Harold Wimington says this. In his second epistle, John dealt with the problem of welcoming deceivers, which should not have been done. And in this epistle, he discusses the error of not receiving believers, which should have been done. We can't get it right either way. <laughs> I mean, people are involved, right? I mean, you just, there's always something going on in there. And then I wanted to read, I don't often read sections, but um, John Phillips, who I use his commentaries a lot in my study, um, did an introduction um, for Third John, and it, to me it just kind of, I like the way he put it, and it just... It was a couple paragraphs, so as opposed to typing it out, I thought, you know what, I'll just read it. So will you uh, humor me for a few moments, and I want to read this to you. Remember, it's an introduction to Third John. The, there are similarities and contrasts between John's last two letters. The second letter was sent to a woman, the third to a man. The second urges against receiving false messengers. The third warns against rejecting true me- uh, messengers. Anonymity marks the second letter. Naming of individuals highlights the third. The second letter warns against being too soft. The third against being too hard. One warns about the deceiver and the other against the dictator. The three letters of John are very touching. We get a picture of the aged apostle concerned about the inroads of apostasy in the church. Writing his imprisoned... Impassioned first epistle. Remember one thing that we talked about when we were studying First John, uh, when we talked about false teachers and antichrists at that time? I said, you know, what the main uh, issue was wasn't that Satan and and others were going to change the church from the outside. It was the concern was that the church was going to change from the inside. And that's where it always starts. Satan's pretty wise when it comes to where do i attack christ's church from and i'm going to start from the inside and i'm going to start with its leadership it happens that way a lot continuing he says he adds as it were a post script by writing another letter then he adds one more I've written three total letters Brevity is the hallmark of all three letters, the first being about 2,350 words, the second only 245, the third still a bare 219. We get a picture in this of John's feeling for the desperate urgency of the situation. He puts down his pen, picks it up again, puts it down again, picks it up again, and puts it down a third time. He's the last of the apostles, and he's old. You know, by now, John's. Um, I mean, this is around 90 AD. I mean, so John's getting up there. The times are uncertain. Nero has gone, but domination will soon pick up Nero's policy of persecution. Error is abroad. Tears are growing profusely and springing up everywhere among the wheat, and Christians are squabbling. This was first century Christianity church had been a mere by 90, 70 years, 60 years, and they're already struggling. And 2,000 years later, guess what? We're still struggling. We, We still haven't learned, have we? So John writes and writes and writes. His last two letters are mere memos, but the Holy Spirit urged him to write them, breathed into them saw to it that they were preserved, brought them into the divine library, added them to the books as almost his very last word. We should certainly not make the mistake of underestimating their importance, simply because they're brief. In the things of God, as we learn from the so-called minor prophets, it is a mistake to measure the man by the size of his manuscript, the Holy Spirit doesn't always inspire long books in order to convey vital beliefs. Weighty things can often be stated in a few dynamic words. "I love you," for instance. "Don't touch." "Exit" or "Help." We certainly don't expect a drowning man to express his urgent need in flowery paragraphs. I love, you know, the writings of, you know, some some of the older. Um, Christians and their through their commentaries, but you get an idea here as we're migrating through these books. They're small, and, and I didn't really mention it in uh, first in Second John, and it, it's it, it's interesting and it's a thought. But even in Third John, he finishes the book. Third John thirteen. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I will trust. I shall shortly see thee. I love that. He says, you know what? i got more I want to say. But some of this I'd rather do face-to-face. You know? I love that. I mean, what a great leadership principle uh, for us nowadays. I, too much has, is said via email or text back and forth to somebody sometimes that should be said face-to-face. because, And then it gets misunderstood. I mean, that's a whole topic and discussion right there. So we're just going to read... That was the introduction, and we have uh, six minutes left. So, uh, Third John 1-4, through 4, we'll read it real quick. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, and I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Go back to 2 John, you'll see a very similar introduction, right? John loves uh, this, this man Gaius. As, as a fellow believer, as, as we talked in 1 John, love your brethren. He loves him, And he's wanting to wish him well. And he begins by <coughs> introducing himself, the, the elder, you know he's saying I'm I'm the pastor I was the ex-pastor I um, I um, I served at the church with you Uh, maybe he was responsible for seeing Gaius baptized and saved originally maybe he's just saying I'm the elder because I'm 90 I got something to say I've been around I've seen some things Have you ever had somebody pull you aside maybe with those and when we're young we kind of blow it off but but as you get older yourself, you truly come to um, value that whom I love in the truth. Again, what's the love based on? I read some crazy commentaries this week on this topic that you know, I'm just like, wow. No, he loves him because he's a fellow Christian, and it's based in the truth, right? But interesting, verse 2 and 3 is where I where I wanted to uh, talk about for just a second. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. You think back to the first century. They didn't have the health mechanisms we have now. Um, the average lifespan, probably what? 50s, 60s, maybe, if that. You know, so to wish somebody good health probably was a norm, you know, because there you could come down with a sickness pretty easy during that time. So I don't, you know, and some of the studies suggest <coughs> some other things, we'll talk about them, but I don't, I, that seemed to make some sense to me when you talk, you know, to say, you know what, hey, I wish you good health. I mean we do it today. Take care, you know. Uh, you know, I hope your health stays up. I mean, we we do it today and in, in in uh when we talk. That thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He's saying, you know, I hope you get everything you wish for. I hope you get everything you pray for. I hope God blesses you immensely financially, with your family with your health. And then he even says, even as thy soul prospereth. He's saying, I hope God blesses you spiritually and that the spiritual blessings you get, that you will see just as many uh, personal blessings. And then their human man read that and twisted it, twisted it. And we end up today with what's known as prosperity gospel. That verse is where it comes from. That verse right there. And here's the story behind it. The health and wealth gospel assures 3 John a place in modern history of interpretation. One morning, Oral Roberts opened up his Bible for a word from God and read the first verse his eyes fell upon, which happened to be 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. He took took this verse to be prompted by the the Holy Spirit to begin a ministry of, quote, whole person prosperity. Over time, this verse became what Roberts called the master key of his ministry. For he reads it to say, That God desires above all things that Christians have the fullness of prosperity here and now. While on this earth you're to have the fullness of everything you, you wish for. An interpretation that when you look at the Greek doesn't equal out. That's not what the passage stands for or means. But Oral Roberts at the time totally missed it and built his entire ministry from that verse into the health wealth prosperity gospel that we see very prominent today. Kenneth Hagin followed Oral Roberts in using third John 2 as a direct promise from God to all Christians that you will have health and you will have wealth as long as you give to God. As long as you're doing the right things. And when the health didn't come, It must be because you're a sinner. You're not right with God. I can't imagine doing that to somebody, making them feel that way. But these men took that verse and created a whole ministry that continues to this day from that verse. Um, That's not what John was intending to say. John was writing a letter of introduction and saying, I wish you good health. I hope uh, that you prosper. I think we all do. If, if we write a letter, that's how we would kind of articulate ourselves. Um, so I guess the warning here is be careful sometimes as as you read Scripture. And again, ch- Satan is going to attack the church from where? Within. Within. And he attacked by putting a seed of a thought in Oral Roberts' head. And Oral Roberts read that, and that seed sprouted. And decades later, we end with the prosperity gospel movement that is just on fire nowadays. I mean, you can't... I've I've mentioned it. There's not a Christian... uh, network on TV that doesn't have some of this in it. You, you know? I sense a great thing that you that you and God can that God wants for you. Send me $25 and I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah? You know, the one thing people forget about John when he wrote this he was in prison. And during the time that he was in prison 5,000 patients were being executed by the Romans. Nope. Yep. So when he's saying, I hope you're well in health, yeah, exactly. there's a real possibility that you were going to be executed the next day. Man, no doubt about it, yeah. All right, so that's talking about taking things out of context. You know, when man gets involved, that tends to happen, doesn't it? I know that my wife, I take things out of context quite often, and she nowhere meant what I thought she meant, so... When you take scripture though and take it out of context, my goodness! Look at the damage it's done. I don't know when Oral Roberts this happened. I'm gonna guess probably early 80s, late 70s. Was it 60s? Okay. And to 60 years later, that fire's still burning. Yeah. That health wealth people people. Yeah. People are still attracted to that type of thing. Um, all I got to do is this, and I can have everything I ever wanted. Yeah. Yeah. But at least Oral Roberts made it to the College World Series, right? Did I see that? Huh? I guess they got a good baseball team. That's all I know. That's all I know. You don't hear a lot of him nowadays. I think he died just um, a few days ago. A few days ago? Yeah, I think Oral Roberts is Pat Roberts Roberts passed away a few days ago. All right, well, uh, we'll continue in 3rd John. I got about as far as I thought I would, and we'll continue in 3rd John next week and get that. We'll get to Revelation. I got several people kind of asking. If you see folks um, that you want to mention, I think uh, it's going to be a. uh, neat little study if they want to start coming we'll rearrange things to fit some more people if we need to so start mentioning i'll see if maybe pastor wants to mention that uh, the upcoming study as well so any other can you want to release us in prayer and then we'll go down to services Amen.